Well, that was, we've had quite a morning, haven't we? I heard a few guys mutter in the break that uh, Andrew Wilson has got potential. <laughs> and, uh, that's good. We want to we wanna affirm you. Keep going. Keep, keep going. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> All right. Um, particularly as uh, um, men who lead church, men who lead uh, churches, uh, elders here, and a few others, we thought it would be good to um, talk about strengthening. We know one of our catchphrases is, is planting and strengthening. Just to talk a bit about how to strengthen churches, because many of us, in fact, all of us are receiving strength in the Lord from one another, directly and indirectly, and we, this will help us receive. Um, but most of us here are directly or indirectly helping strengthen other contexts as well. So I, I really think this is a very good group to, to look at this. And um, we're just going to go through it. I trust you've got it in front of you. So strengthening, firstly, be convinced. Alongside planting, a major, main feature of the New Testament ministry was the ongoing commitment to strengthen churches. Some examples here. Peter and John strengthened, left Jerusalem and strengthened new believers in Samaria by helping them receive the Holy Spirit. That's a great case study. Uh, when we've done, we often do um, brotherly informal surveys. We did it in the UK recently. Our 12 churches there, partner churches. Uh, what areas do you need strengthening in and what areas can you help strengthen others? And a number of us had, um, we need help in all things evangelistic. Uh, other churches have, we need, we need help in, in terms of spirit empowered and how to have a, a sane but effective and a passionate pursuit of uh, the power, presence, gifts, and fruit of the Holy Spirit. Well, Peter and John helped these believers receive the Holy Spirit. Barnabas relocated from Jerusalem to Antioch to strength, strengthen the work there. We pray for Kelly and Leanne, who've relocated from Texas, Mar Marianne, from Texas up to um, California, Los Angeles, uh, released by Texas, the hole in the Texas church, uh, to strengthen the work in this new, new site in Chino in California. Barnabas recruited Paul from Tarsus to help him strengthen Antioch. <laughs> so it's great. Barnabas gets to Antioch and things, and things are going so well that he says we need help. Of course, when you, things are going bad, you need help. But when things are going well, get help. Um, prophets from Jerusalem strengthen the Antioch church. Uh, we've got um, Sam and Marlene Poe with us. Sam brought that word yesterday afternoon about how he, he feels that uh, what Ben Durban and friends modeled up here, uh, a church in a small town, church is bigger than the town, and planting in other towns and also planting and helping strengthen across the continents. Uh, he said that was what, what he felt the Lord give him earlier yesterday in terms of advance, that we're, we're, we should an anticipate uh, some quite rapid church planting around North America, but these church plants won't be an end in themselves for America, but they'll be uh, for the ends of the earth somehow. Uh, we're being strengthened by Sam's prophetic ministry. Antioch sent an offering. They raised money. They took up an offering on Thursday night, which is what we're going to do. Uh, Jerusalem released John Mark to help Barnabas and Paul. Lystra released Timothy to help Paul. Paul and Barnabas strengthened the souls of disciples, strengthened churches 
in Syria and Cilicia, and the churches were strengthened in the faith and encouraged. And Paul sent delegates to strengthen churches. There's, of course, pragmatic reasons for, for churches and suitably gifted, gifted individuals to actively strengthen churches. For example, the body of Christ is stronger together. Fresh eyes on a church see things that local elders don't. Stronger, stronger means healthier, and healthier means better able to plant. Outside input broadens the locals, local church's horizons and breathes oxygen into the mix. It's what's happening in this room. Small room, lots of oxygen in the room. It's wonderful. The Lord is helping us, enlarging us. The strengthener grows in maturity, perspective, and gifting as he strengthens other churches, which benefits his home church. A fresh voice is sometimes easier heard by the congregation than the resident voice. We had... Uh, uh, Andrew preaching in our church here on Sunday, who said th things about reformed, charismatic, and missional, refer charismational, that we believe as a local eldership team we have as, for years in this church. He, he said, he said everything we've we keep saying, we've been saying over the years, and keep and say directly. And we say it indirectly, we try and live it. And he just, he just put it all together with such a freshness. It, 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 it felt like it was said in a better and more wonderful way than certainly I've been trying to say the things over the last few months. It's tremendous. Thank God for the body of Christ. And we model humility, mutuality, interdependence, and discipleship. Uh, we, we, when we're trying to people, teach our people what it means to receive and grow and be discipled, if we can model that ourselves, which is very easy to do when you're connected wider in the body of Christ. You can boast about how you are being discipled and helped uh, by others. Uh, when the eldership team says, man, the lights went on for us. We were so helped by what so-and-so said. Uh, we're, we're teaching our church what it means to be disciples by others. It brings security to a church to know that their elders are humble and eager for outside help and in part answers the question, who guards the gods? Ultimately, Jesus does, but we can help one another. The spiritual health of elders is arguably the most important aspect of a local church. Incomers can help check spiritual health amongst the elders and help improve it. So Ash and I, over the years, um, when we have all the churches we've led, we've had multiple people coming in to help us, particularly some who consistently come. Um, we don't stick them in hotels. Uh, usually they're in our home. They're staying in other elders' homes. There's not protocol or hierarchy or from the hotel to the limo to the pulpit to the limo to the hotel. It's, 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 a, it's not so much giving out a survey to check spiritual health. It's just being around in homes and around the elders and around the church. Uh, for, it can even be a day. You can pick up quite a lot in a day, actually. But if it's a few days, how wonderful. But then we need to be stable because those involved with strengthening other churches usually have busy lives at home base. So it's important to do ministry beyond your local church in a sustainable manner. Here are some things to help us in this regard. Firstly, remember, his burden is easy and his yoke is like light. So hectic seasons, some anticipated, some not, are unavoidable, but the trend of our lives should be joyful, measured living and ministry. If our lives are consistently hectic, then we might be either living unwisely or worshiping an idol of some sort, such as needing too much to be needed. But there is unavoidable sacrifice involved in extra-local ministry. 
It takes an emotional toll, there's a responsibility, there's time away from family and home base. These, that does need to be held in tension with the previous point. The order of priority should generally be family, then local church, then things beyond the local church, but there is nuance here. For example, building a strong, godly family, part of that is for the family to be on mission together, which sometimes means coping without dad when he's traveling. So we're kind of unapologetic about this with our boys. If we're, I mean, the number of birthdays I've been away for and so on. And we, I try to work around them, but sometimes I just can't. We don't grovel with our kids and don't over-apologize. We say, guys, I'm so sorry I'm going to be away. We'll celebrate when I get back. But this is part of what it means to serve Jesus. And, you know, I'm leaving you on your birthday. Jesus left heaven to come down to us. We work the gospel in, and it builds robust kids along the way. Uh, similarly, the Great Commission of, to every local church is both Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So local churches should feel some kind of cost when they're doing extra local ministry, such as managing without their lead elder when he's away, helping plant or strengthen other churches. But still, in normal circumstances, the local church, I think, should receive the lion's share of the lead elder's time and energy. It, it's hard to imagine a credible ministry away if you're not playing well at home. Remember, there's biblical precedent for wanting to get there, but not being able to. And can we just agree to take the pressure of each other? We're free to ask, and we're free to say no. And you don't need to feel cut to the heart if you, if you, if you can't come. You know, we all know we want to. We all know that we can't. But there's a way through when we can't. Um, part of the way through, Paul sometimes longed to visit a church, but couldn't. Sometimes he sent someone else in his place. And we need to really enjoy that. You're not sending in the B team or the C team. It, you know, the, the, the more we get to know each other, the more we really don't need the same person for everything. You, you don't want them for everything. Um, you, we really do want to enjoy the body of Christ. And some, some can offer something very similar in the Lord to someone else. And uh, so just don't obsess about any individual. We don't want anything built too much to a certain personal group of people, uh, whilst we do still want to respect um, measure of gift. So, oh, Paul often said, um, listen, until I'm able to get there to be with you, crack on with this, this, and this. And that's often great advice to a church. You know, if you're having a bit of a tiff in the eldership team and you can't make it, so well, look, I can video conference in, and the kind of thing that, that I might say is, look, I really wish I could spend you know, a long weekend with you and really hear all sides of this. But until that's possible, love each other. <laughs> you pointed the video screen, <laughs> love each other. Um, eat some food together. Um, pray more together. You, you, we can give one another things to do in the meantime. Even pretty obvious things. So, so helpful to be told the obvious from outside sometimes. Maybe work to some kind of quota as a guide. We've done this and it's helped us. After some experimentation, you get a feel for the amount of travel per year that you can be away from your family and church with it being feeling right. Um, having a figure of nights away can help prioritize what you do beyond your local church, can reassure wife, elders, and give you an objective reason to decline an invitation. Always act in faith whether saying yes or saying no. And those of us who feel responsibility keenly, it's really hard to say no. 
Um, and, and we need, we, I've been helped by this paragraph. So don't go on a trip without faith. So sometimes, in the past, I've gone on a trip and I really just think I should be at home. I shouldn't be doing this. And it's never, I don't think, a particularly fruitful trip. in that state of mind. We need to do what we do with faith, not dead works. Um, if you say yes, go believing that God will prosper those who you're leaving behind, family and church, and use you. Similarly, if you say no, stay in faith. Just, just say, Lord, I'm not going in faith. And t- tell the guys, I, just, I'm, I can't make it. And I know God's got you. Do it in faith, not in guilt. Those things can't easily coexist, guilt and faith. Build a sustainable and supportive local church. Um, most of us have serious local responsibilities, so it is important that we uh, have a strong home base. That doesn't mean having everything perfect or being a certain size, but it does mean having a leadership that's behind you and a financial base that finances that can can not be strained beyond a certain point. So here are a few ways to help build um, support in what you as a church and you individually do translocally. I think it starts with a theological conviction that this, this great commission, there's something in all four realms for every believer in every church. Now, we won't do the same amount in Jerusalem as we will to the ends of the earth. It'll be different. But if we just hone in on Jerusalem and leave every, everywhere else to everyone else, uh, we, we obsess about our local church and the gospel gets locked up in a way that it shouldn't. So it starts with the theological conviction. And I think when an eldership team in a church gets that, that we have an obliga- a joyful obligation to do ministry beyond our local church, that's the starting point in terms of thinking about sending ministry out from your church. And it, it changes the situation from sacrificially sending you to, to releasingly, uh, releasing you with real faith. I'm sorry, I got that the wrong way around. This will help them sacrificially send rather than reluctantly release. We don't want to just release and do without you. We want to send with faith. Experience it on the road. Take various elders and wives and other leaders and members with you when you can because a lot of the validity of ministry beyond the local is caught as much as taught. Experience it at home base when your church experiences the blessing of being strengthened and your eldership team experiences the blessing of someone coming in and helping. It begins to all make sense. Communication, prayer, and feedback. I think uh, organize, uh, well, I I suggest we've got um, some great movement communications that are geared for members of churches. So it's not cliquey um, in how we communicate. It's designed just to to help everyone know a little bit about what's happening around the place. Um, So some churches, just the eldership team receives that. Other churches, all members receive that. I think that's a great, great thing. Consider Skyping other other church leaders and planters into your meetings to hear news and pray for them. So you can do that on a Sunday morning. Just take a three to five minute slot. You've got a church on the other side of the world. Man, you can even do it with a phone call. I sometimes do that. And it just, it creates a good connection and then you, and you hear about what they're doing, their difficulty or their success or their plant. And then uh, you pray for them whilst they're still on the screen or when they've hung up. 
Solicit the prayers of your elders and congregation. Give them good feedback, especially if you're away for a noticeable period. Um, prove by your actions that your local church and particularly your family come first. So I try and make sure that I prepare well for the sermon on my return uh, so I can bring my A game uh, when I get back. I don't want to be at my worst. Oh, well, that was terrible. Well, I was just been on a trip. <laughs> we don't want that at all. We want, man, what happened then? Well, he's been on a trip. Uh, he and a few of the others were helping strengthen a church and look at the, look at the ble- blessing and benefit that's flowed back to us. Um, occasionally, you will feel you need to withdraw from a scheduled trip for the sake of your family of church, family or church. This will mean a great deal to your family and church and it'll set a great example to the church that you end up not visiting. Everybody wins, but it won't happen often. Shouldn't happen often but enjoy it when it does. Make the absolute most of it when it does and do not feel guilty. Remember, other people can step up for you extra locally, but only you can be a husband to your wife, a father to your kids, and a leader to your church. Pressure off, brothers and sisters. Yeah. Acknowledge the boomerang benefits of what you do out there back into your church. I've just mentioned that. But... uh, You and others who travel will return with improved perspective and passion and help prevent you from becoming introspective, even obsessed with your local church. Experiencing the comparative fruitfulness and faithfulness, sometimes it's faithfulness without much fruitfulness, of other contexts keeps us humble. Experiencing the comparative need of other contexts keeps us grateful and experiencing what God is doing in other nations keeps us large of heart. Also, when you're away, other people step up, everybody wins. Okay, 40, 40, 10, 10. My experience is that normal church life normally needs strengthening via the following categories and approximately the following proportions. Now, whenever you apply percentages, there's pros and cons to it, so please bear with, as the English would say, bear with. Okay, 40% friendship and camaraderie. 40% general input, similar to what other churches need. 10% specialist input and 10% from you or someone else who's something of a primary, consistent, trusted voice into the church. I'll talk about that in a minute. But a couple of caveats. If a church is in crisis, usually the bottom two, certainly the bottom 10% increases. So when Titus went to Crete, there weren't elders, there wasn't sound doctrine, and there were troublemakers. It was crazy. And it needed, it didn't just need general input and emails of love or come to a conference. It needed someone on the ground helping straighten things out. In the early days of your connection with Advance, most of us find that the last 10% is higher because we are building relationally. And uh, if you're getting to know Advance, you'll probably have quite good personal connection with two or three people who may have even visited your church a couple of times or you visited them, and you'll feel, I don't know very many people in Advance, but I know them, and I really like them, and it can be tempting to stop there. Don't. They're good, but they're not enough for you, okay? And you'll wear them out as well. Of course, not all strengthening comes from advanced relationships, but the focus of this paper is mostly our partnership together. Okay, let's talk about the first 40%, so friendship and camaraderie. 
I think is usually best met by other church leaders and elders in the movement. Now, here's the thing about strengthening. Most strengthening happens without us even realized we're being without us even realizing we're being strengthened. It's the it's just the general tapestry of relationships and atmosphere that we enjoy when we're in the room together or connections between between churches. Prevention's kind of better than cure. It keeps helps keep the tide high of faith and alertness to um, wisdom in building churches. And it, a, a lot of it we don't really peg. Oh, I have been strengthened. I have been strengthened. But that's fine. And that's what this first 40% is about. And it's things like, um, again, I don't want to make everything about gatherings. It can be church to church or but, but in gatherings, it's just this, this sense of um, no temptation has seized us except that which is common to man. And we hear stories of other people struggling. And, and we get strengthened through that, through hearing about their response. It, that, that's what we're talking about here. Friendship, camaraderie, knowing we're not alone, knowing that there's other people going through what we're going through. Similar to this, uh, but specifically that's at a relational level. So we need, we want lots of, not just one or two, we want a good handful or two handfuls of meaningful friendships. The second 40% is general input. Um, and that, that happens so much at movement gatherings. We think of hub, continent, and, and then global gatherings. This is the global gathering. Um, it happens through resources, and it happens through church-to-church -church strengthening. So church-to-church -church strengthening is when you've got a church here who you're friendly with, and they help strengthen you whether it's in something general or something specific, uh, or you've got a church who's very good at something and you're very good at weak, weak in that area and someone match makes you and say, that church or a person in that church uh, will be good at helping your church get stronger in this area. Then there are, coming down the funnel, there's 10% specialist input. So this is usually someone with a unique gift in a certain area who's particularly gifted to help in a specific area. So it might be someone with a pronounced pastor-teacher gift. It might be a prophetic gift or an evangelistic gift, or it could be someone especially gifted in worship, youth, counseling, or administration. Then there's the 10%, the what I'm calling primary voice input. I think this is best met by one or two mature and trusted men with a developed or growing, fatherly, foundational, faith-injecting gift. Now, let me just, just pause on that one. I think to have different voices influencing our churches is tremendous. But I have experientially found over the years, having led churches for over two decades now, that when you're in crisis or going through a difficult time, you don't want a church consultant who preaches well on Sunday and can offer tips. You want someone who has known you and your team, knows you and your wife and your team, and has faith for your future. It's just better. It doesn't mean that that's the only voice. And at other times, that voice is quite quiet. But it's a consistent voice. 
And then outside of crisis, because we don't just want to be thinking of partnership in terms of the low moments, outside of crisis, isn't it great having people who know, have known you, know you, and hope that they know you going forward? It's just a different type of, of connection. That's what we're talking about there. And you also want someone who's got the respect of the eldership team. He doesn't need to be ahead of you in every regard, but you want to feel he gets us. And the Lord's, the Lord's gifted him in a way that just, just is, is useful to our church. He's not useful in every area, but he's useful in, in just some of the bigger or more foundational the architecture of our church and our relate, particularly some of the key relationships, he's particularly useful there. It's like he's got a building gift. Some guys are good at building bathrooms and tiling and plumbing. And this chap, he's just more useful. He can look at the building and not get carried away with a certain area too much. But there's a sense of balance and foundation. And he can help us build. That's what we're talking about here. Okay, this four-way matrix leaves churches rich and secure and strengthens, and it makes life manageable for everybody. Here's some thoughts on doing it. And, and I stress thoughts, all right? This isn't our rule book. These are some thoughts to help us as we go forward. How do you help a church develop the first 40% of camaraderie? It's as simple as making friends. So, and, and some of you are sitting here with a slightly wistful, uh, not wistful, um, something smile on your face, um, because this is exactly what I've done with you. You've got to know me. I've said, I'd, I reckon you should get to know so-and-so and so-and-so. Then I go to so-and-so and so-and-so. And so, I've met this great guy, great church, just getting to know them. Can you help make friends with them? And, and everyone just goes, yes, of course, because that's what we want to do. But, but then six months later or a year later, it's so gratifying that friends have made friends and those friends have pulled other friends in and there's been visiting or sitting around tables together. And it's just like the, the Lord, Lord builds up his body when everyone plays their part. So it can be as simple as matchmaking. It's like when you get a new person coming into your church and uh, you're trying to win them to the Lord because you've met them at the grocery store, store at the school gates, you as quickly as possible want to in introduce them to other people in the church so it doesn't, doesn't become you dependent. Second 40% uh, is as simple as come along. Now, coming along to gatherings costs money and it takes time. Um, and it means people away from home. Some churches need warm encouragement in that area. And the challenge is doing that without making it about the brand. And I, just FYI, I try and use the word advance as little as possible. I talk about our family together on his mission, moving together, just to keep the brand at a, at a, at a sane level. But, and when I talk about advanced gatherings, I talk about the body of Christ. Um, gifts in the room. It's not coming to Advance HQ or coming to Mecca. What we're doing is we're brothers and sisters coming together, not on an annual or biannual pilgr pilgrimage, but we're being together to receive grace from the Lord. Some of us have got this uh, phrase, uh, Riggs uses it, grace flow. It's like we feel God's grace coming to us 
uh, in these instances, these gatherings through, through one another. So come along. Uh, the first 10%, um, have in your mind, and if you don't know who's who, just ask questions and make notes of people, uh, who's particularly helpful in what area? And as we're growing as a movement, we've got more and more men and women who are useful in different, particularly gifted in different areas of ministry. And it's not just the, uh, just the sort of upfront gifts. So I heard recently someone from a church spent two or three weeks at another church helping them with administration, particularly in the area of worship. Some worship leading, but it was administration of worship. And he was just generally a, a great help to this church. And you wouldn't be able to label this guy with a particular, that is his gift. In fact, when, when I was hearing about it, one of the big things that the person said was, he, he was just so good at coaching. And, and it seems one of the main deposits he left in the church was um, how to give feedback in a warm, gracious, but definite way. That was the main thing he left behind in the church. It's great. Uh, the second 10%, the nature of this input will depend on different things, such as how connected the church is to the other 90% and the capacity of the individual involved and the geography. But over the years, and I'm talking particularly to those of us who, who, who do this kind of primary, consistent, trusted connection with a church that takes time um, to grow... But I've found that doing that solo isn't anything like as fun or economical as drawing some others in. So let's look at this category. This is my phrase, generalist helpers. Acts 19.22, and having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. I love the phrase helper. It's an elastic phrase that can encompass different types of role ranging from John helping Barnabas and Saul in Cyprus, probably with fairly menial tasks, to Timothy representing Paul in a significant way in Corinth. Remember he said, this is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. And then obviously commissioning Titus to do a substantial elder appointing apostolic work in Crete. So this description helper avoids labels, and I'm really pleased we're, we're three or four years into advance. Um, there seems to be cohesion around our brands, but we're not brand obsessed. Um, and we do have, we do recognize spiritual gifts came through in Romans. We're so grateful for the Holy Spirit. We're so grateful. We're just so grateful for different gifts in meetings, but not just in meetings, but as we move together Different people gifted in different ways, we acknowledge that. We love that. We don't say one size fits all. We use biblical definition and categories, even if they're slightly hard to understand. Sometimes it takes a while to work out what a biblical gift looks like. But uh, I think we've done really well in avoiding labels. We, we, we're not obsessing about particular words or phrases um, where, we, where, where it's appropriate that we don't. And it's really good just to give each other latitude. So um, I can think of some people in this room who you're becoming, you're so evangelistic that I wonder if you're an evangelist. But if I go and slap a label on you, an evangelist, it can lock you up and box you in. And I might not even be right. 
I mean, after 10 or 20 years, collectively looking at a few people, you might come to the conclusion, you know what? That's an evangelist. But let, we don't need to jump there too quickly. We're not gift shy, but we're, we are shy of locking people up too soon. In a gift. And it just takes the pressure off. Because if you become the evangelist, man, you've got to produce evangelistic fruit. We invited you in because you're an evangelist. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, there was something about Apollos here. Yeah, so for example, Timothy and Epaphroditus were clearly a significant help to Paul in strengthening the Philippian church, but there's no indication that they were ever received by this church in the same capacity as Paul was. But Apollos is interesting. He initially helped the Corinth church as a teacher, uh, as an apologist teaching evangelist. But then later on, he gets described in an apostolic capacity. And you just wonder if, if, if they had locked up Apollos yeah, receive Apollos, he's the teacher. I don't know if they would have been, you know, if he would have been able to just grow from that into being received by that church in, a, in another way. Generalist helpers, next paragraph, do not necessarily need a pronounced building or specialist gift. They just need to be able to think foundationally and behave in a fatherly manner, represent you faithfully, and really love the church that they're involved with. They might be a, a lead elder in a church or a very capable elder in your church or another church. So it's, it's doing it two by two. Two by two with this kind of helper or helpers is more fun, more economical, more sustainable and more effective. Therefore, right from the start of your interaction with the church, try to work two by two dynamic. And it may be with someone who just helps for a bit. It may be someone who helps for the long term. But I know that many of our relationships in this room started like that. It's like you went along and you got to know and uh, your friendship has developed. Okay, last section. Mostly shoot for strengthening elders, strengthening doctrine and strengthening values. John Stott says the main way to regulate and consolidate the life of a church is to secure for it gifted and conscientious pastoral oversight. Therefore, it makes sense that the most strategic way to strengthen a church is to strengthen its elders. How can we do that? General strengthening. Most strengthening happens without it really feeling like strengthening simply through a local church participating in normal movement life to enjoy ongoing support, encouragement, fellowship, and equipping. Specific. So I know some of our churches have said we're quite good at missions to the ends of the earth, but not very good at doing it to our next door neighbor or to the ends of our streets. So is there any one or person or any material you can suggest to help unlock personal evangelism? And help us get moving forward um, in that. And uh, we can recommend people either to come to your church or resources or you come to something that you can hear about that. Training new elders. Uh, training new elders and church planners together. A local eldership team should not abdicate their primary responsibility to develop new elders in their church and indeed other leaders and planters but it can be fun and it, we can do it better if we pool our energies and resources. How, I hear you ask? Well, there's many, diff many different ways. We can, you can work that out with other churches. 
elder appointments. Um, we have so many church plants on the go. Um, the first church plant that Ash and I did, we weren't part of any movement, and I appointed myself as lead elder. <laughs> and my two best friends as my fellow elders. Appointing elders is so easy when you do it wrong. <laughs> church plants particularly, church plants particularly need these kind of trusted uh, translocal connections and particularly in appointing the first batch of elders. And then here, here's the thing. For many of us who and I, we have it several times over, appointing elders um, with outside help is such a nice way to do it. It's not their responsibility. It's your responsibility. But when you've done it the first time with outside help, then you're an eldership team, and it comes time to appoint another elder or two, you intuitively think it would be great to have a bit of outside perspective on this, because, man, if we get this one wrong, you know, it's, it's hard to lay hands off. So it's not, please, don't, don't hear. If you're, if you're in a, an established eldership team, I wouldn't dream of saying you must have outside help in to help you appoint more elders. You could do it by yourself. That's absolutely fine. I'm just saying myself and others have found it's really good to have other outside voices in. And, and when you've got the, these sort of consistent friendships that go back a few years and, and are, are meaningful, it comes up in conversation anyway. So it's not like you have to get outside input. <laughs> you've already got friends who know the journey of your church and the dynamic of your eldership team. And it kind of becomes weird that the topic wouldn't come up. So it, it does naturally come up. Um, but can I just say that I don't see in Scripture, and when I finally get this book out about elders as a, as a part on this, I can't make a strong argument for Scripture for outside hands having to be laid on to appoint an elder. I think having them as part of the mix, though, can be a very useful thing. Um, elder appointments, yes, doctrine. Man, you read Paul's epistles, read Romans, listen to a dramatic presentation of Romans. I mean, the things that Paul wanted, he wanted churches to believe the right things about God and how he interacts with man, to grasp the full benefits of the new covenants, the primacy of the church and the heart and plan of God, etc., etc. Final sentence, uh, we help strengthen one another in doctrine, through movement relationships, because great friends talk about great doctrines, through resources recommended from inside and outside of advance, and through gatherings. So obviously we were somewhat strengthened, were we not, in doctrine earlier this morning. Then values. Interestingly, Paul's concern for churches went beyond sound doctrine. I sent you Timothy to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Ways, yep, detail not given, but I think it likely refers to his personal example in various things, especially the way doctrine is applied in life. For example, it is possible for a church to correctly believe in God's sovereignty, but for the atmosphere in the church to remain a bit mean, miserable, and driven. It's like you got the doctrine down, but how you're applying the doctrine... Uh, you're missing some things. Now, the missing links are not easy to do over the phone. But the missing links you're able to do as you develop friendship with the church, as we watch one another interact 
in environments when we're together. I, I, we found this over the years. I remember the first time we went to a, um, we were 25, 26, just started this church, River of Life in Harare. We were unaccountable, unconnected, <laughs> crazy. And uh, we met some friends who said, hey, you must come along. We're going to this gathering and New Frontiers group of churches. And we went along and there were, I think, 12,000 people at this gathering. And we heard that a guy called Terry Virgo was leading it. And we, we just assumed we'd never meet Terry. Anyway, the first day we were in the bookshop. Long queue, lining up, you know, waiting to, for the teller to serve us. And we turned around and we saw this name badge. It just said Terry on it. And then in smaller letters, Virgo. And we were just absolutely, that moment has stuck with us. Haven't, I mean, we get moved talking about it. Uh, we met Terry Virgo. He was queuing in the longest line you've ever seen in a bookshop. It didn't say anything dramatic about who he was. It just said Terry Virgo. And uh, it was just a normal badge. And he would queue for meals and queue for books. And that's how we met him. Job was done in that moment of that's just how we want to lead. And the thought of siphoning ourselves off into some green room or limo type dynamic, it was just dealt with by that personal example. It, we caught it. Right, job done, rest of our lives, job done there. So was, some things are caught, not just taught. And you, this paragraph, it talks about grace. Sometimes we can get the we very clear doctrine of grace but then there's confession and the sin and these all these aspects of how do they fit around the doctrine of grace sometimes we need we need people to model how to live that out that doesn't you can't just describe on paper or, or even in a sermon there are some ways there are ways and we trust that they're bible ways we don't want to say there's an advanced way of doing something but we do want to learn application and have things modeled to one another by one another. Similarly, last two, three lines, a sensible yet powerful charismatic practice needs modeling, not just teaching. And again, that's how we've, I mean, we're still paddling in the shallows, but, but you, you, you know, Paul actually wrote about how to do things, didn't he? But even with the amount of detail in Scripture about how to do charismatic life, the big question of churches these days is how do we do it? So we've got the eternal Word of God, these glorious passages of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, guidelines, some imperatives. Yet the big question out is how do we do it? We, we, we see it done in a context and we think, oh, that's how not to do it. Or you see it done in the context and you think, I like that. And then you think, that was an amazing first session we had this morning. We're going to do it all on Sundays, just like that. And then you, you, you think, actually, no, that's a Sunday meeting. This wasn't a Sunday meeting. And, and you, might take, you, you, you might therefore take some things into your Sunday meeting. But it's, it's just the joy of learning together in these sort of je ne sais quoi moments. You know, that you... you... Okay, uh, we've... That's it. 
Always good to end on a high note. <laughs> or a low note, I don't know. Yeah, uh, let's have a, take a couple of questions for myself or maybe some others will answer them better.